0: Hello, welcome back. The eight three one podcast returns, episode fifty six. Thank you very much for tuning in. I hope you've listened to the last one with Nick Fox. Brilliant podcast. Even if you're not a falconer at all, he's a conservationist, so some of the projects he's worked on um, really worth you having a back uh, listen back through that one because it's absolutely fantastic. So please go and have a look, uh, listen through that one um this podcast is always sponsored by now cross country magazine XC Mag on instagram and stuff go give them a follow even if you're not into um paragliding just go give XC Mag a follow cross country magazine on facebook etc maybe drop a little thing on there and say that you listen to the podcast um because they help me put these together they uh yeah i have a great relationship with the guys there so yeah um mention them Nuviuk paragliders, of course, they are the reason I'm flying a Noviak X1. Um, they really look after me. I love working with Noviak, and uh, I've been blessed in it. They really uh, hooked me up with the Nuviuk X1, which I will push to its potential next season again. Um, other than that, Trojan Fitness, Trojan Nutrition Bristol, long-term sponsors of the podcast. EJ Hair Clinic, micropigmentation for the scalp. Give Emma a follow and tell her that you listen to the podcast. If you're looking, if you're bolding and you're looking for an alternative to hair transplants and stuff, look her up because it's absolutely absolutely amazing. Bridgeway Family Fitness, etc. Again, any, I've got lots of cool guests lined up, but if you've got any ideas for guests, please hit me up. I'd love to speak to people. If you know anyone who you think could be a cool guest, hit me up and I will contact them and we will get them on. But for now, this is episode 56. This is Kirsty Cameron. Kirsty's a very good friend of mine. Um, paraglider pilot from the UK, uh, one of the best female paraglider pilots on the planet, but also just a generally brilliant pilot. Great fun, she's great to talk to. We spent a lot of time together over the last few years, and I really enjoy her company and I thought this was a great podcast. So hopefully you will too. Again, all that I ask from all of you, just share, man. Just just share. Just share a picture of this on your story, on your Instagram page, on your Facebook, on your social media. Just share. Just put it out there that hey. I listen to the eight three one podcast on Spotify or iTunes, or I watch it on YouTube, or what, however you listen. Just put it out there. Just let people know that you listen to the eight three one podcast. Not only does it, it don't help me; I don't earn any money from this rubbish. Or I just do this because I'm a fool. But it encourages guests to come on, like because they think people are listening to them, and people are. You all are listening to them, so it encourages other people to come on because they think, oh, other people want to hear my story. So please. Just to share, that's all I'm asking. Just share it far and wide, please. Um Tim Pentreef gets a shout out because he always shares my podcasts. So uh yeah. Please share. Um other than that, yeah, this is the 831 podcast, episode 56, and this is Kirsty Cameron. <laughs> Okay, Kirsty, thank you very much. We've cured our technical problems and you have joined me. Thank you very much.
1: No worries. No worries.
0: It's, uh, you just said to me off air then, it seems like ages ago and uh, even seeing you, sat here talking to you, it does feel like ages ago that we were sharing the skies together.
1: It does, it does. I mean, yeah, we're properly into winter now, aren't we? Looking out the window, it's a nice day, but it's cold and it's, yeah, God.
0: I'm thick fog outside of my window. It's like, you can't see probably 20 feet, you know?
1: Yeah, we've had that. Yeah, yeah. So, no, it's a long, those nice, long, sort of, halcyon, hot, sunny days who were, like, a long time ago.
0: (laughs) They were, but what (laughs) a... What a season we had and um you particularly. Um third overall was it in the end yeah,
1: third overall. So that's my yeah, best I mean, ever performance. Is it? It is actually, yeah. Yeah, it is, yeah. I don't think I've ever done top ten before in the league. No. Cause uh to be to be fair, a lot of my year is often taken up with comps, you know? Of course uh, yeah, Um I has been. And then obviously now I've got young family as well, so quite a lot of commitments um but I didn't do many comps this year I just did the one that we did together Mm -hmm. out in uh, Macedonia so um yeah the rest of my flying was given over to trying to do trying to do the league really Um, yeah
0: I uh I sort of um realized this year how big of an impact comp flying has because if you have to work as well I mean obviously I did Romania and Macedonia which equates to like nearly four weeks away and by Mm -hmm. the time you've like if you take in weekends and stuff as well um but the time you add that up that's not just the time you're away for the comp that's when next time there's a good
1: day actually i can't do it because i gotta make up time from being away no absolutely no exactly we're all we're all amateurs aren't we really got got our day jobs and everything else going on or most of us have anyway so it's um it is it is all a juggling act and even more so for me now with obviously with a young family with noah and yeah. everything it's um yeah it's even more of a commitment in a way so
0: yeah but so you've been yeah. third this year is the best year year for you um what mm. how long have you
1: been flying so i first sort of picked up a paraglider at the end of the 90s so when i first had a go um but i didn't really get into it properly until sort of mid 2000s so around right about 2005 2006 um i was sort of starting to pick it up much more regularly and um did my first comp i think i did the shabber open one of the very first ever shabber opens it wasn't the first one I think it was like the second or third one mm-hmm. um out in lorania 2006 that was the first comp i did and did well in that and um yeah never looked back after that really did did uh, start doing the the brits um 2007 and sort of the last sort of 10 years really I've been doing doing quite a lot of comps
0: yeah that's uh yeah so you're like you, you've you always been uh, a name that I've known since the moment I started paragliding because yeah. I'm an XC guy, right? That's Everybody knows where's fly yeah. XC and you are an XC and comp pilot. It's that mm-hmm. simple. I would say you are as close to myself as anyone I know. I very rarely hear about you going out and just having a beat up and down a, a ridge, I guess just because you have,
1: your time is precious. So you spend it on the things you like, which is comps and XC flying. It is really, and 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 a bit like what you've said a few times. I, I I'm not massively into sort of just boating around, really. I kind of like a challenge. so hence why the comps have always been strong for me. And if I'm going to do um, XC flying, then I I like to be, you know, a bit competitive around it. I'm I'm up there because I enjoy it being up there. I'm up there because you know it's just it's just a great thing to be doing. But yeah, I like to have a bit of a challenge as well. If you don't have a bit of a focus, a bit like you say, if you can have a focus, it's a bit sort of like mm, you know kind of yeah. sort of thing you know and it because it's it's so consuming like even if you're just yeah. if
0: I'm going for a day at Westbury like it's an hour drive there let's say I only flew for two hours hour drive home what who's got four hours spare in their daylight in their daylight hours you just you it's, no, it's true and, and
1: and and in a way that sort of has impacted me over the years with a number of things i have not done as much siv as i'd like to have done because again you know like to go off and do an siv course yes you can do a weekend but if you want to get something out of it you need to go sort of four or five maybe even a week yeah and that's a whole other week out of my leave or whatever you know so it's 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 not it's not straightforward really to be able to do all of these things and something else now i've just got another harness um because I've had sort of weight issues around the wing I've been flying. I've been feeling I've been flying a bit light on the Xeno 2. So I, I've kind of got another harness now to try out. I've got cortel, same as what you've got. Yep. Which I've sure got a second hand. And again, it's kind of, <laughs> I'd be tired to go out and just sort of like... Familiarise. <laughs> Familiarise with it and everything else. And, and there's something else I want to do really is I want to practice some different um, ground handling techniques as well um I'm pretty old school in terms of how I launched the glider and that became evident when I was out in Macedonia where I almost got ticked off by one of the French French guys telling me that my ground handling was shit which I basically remember, it is I <laughs> yeah, it's always remember. been the weak aspect of my flying you know I've got to get up there and get on with it so I've never ever put the time in really to to get better at the ground handling yep. and I should do but again it's sort of you know, getting the time to do it all, really.
0: I mean, that's it. Everything's time, right? So yeah. like back in um back in the late 90s, early 2000s, what made you look to the sky? What were you into before? And was there like an impetus, like family were into flying or did you just yeah. drive past somewhere and see it one day? No, no.
1: My, years ago, my uncle used to fly hand gliders. And when we were kids, we used to go and watch him. Um, So that was kind of my introduction to it, really. That's what put it in my head um and so when i was sort of able to in my sort of early 20s is when i kind of got into it and um first had a go um i did have a go at hand gliding actually initially because that's what he did um but soon gave up on that because paragliding was really coming through then you know it's much more convenient as soon as i sort of my eyes caught paragliding I wanted to do that really
0: yeah
1: and in fact something that was actually watching uh, walking up Snowden I used to do quite a lot of mountain walking and going up Snowden and seeing the guys fly right over the top of Snowden was a real wow mm-hmm. moment made really yeah. me thought that's cool I gotta go and do that you know yeah. gotta do that and say so, yeah, was, it, yeah. So was
0: there many women I guess there wasn't many women in the sport back then was
1: there no there wasn't really and there isn't now is there really i mean there's yeah. more than there were i think um with other disciplines coming through now like hike and fly i think that's um many ways more attractive to to women um for whatever reason um and um no there wasn't and there still isn't really it's something you know So, that would, if, is, that like
0: really. a, is that like a facet of your uh, personality do you think or do you do you do you tend to veer to things that others aren't doing and find yourself a bit of a renegade? Or is it just simply, I'm not interested in many things, but the things I am interested in, I'm completely obsessed
1: with? Yeah, a bit of both, really. I mean, I, you're right. I mean, I think um, I do tend to sort of err towards things which maybe aren't sort of typical, really, for women. <laughs> um, I mean, you know, I really like my flying. I'm quite into my gaming as well. Um, oh, yeah? Interesting. Yeah, because I found out that Andrew... Andrew K is really into his gaming as well, so um, that that was interesting because not that many pilots are, I don't think. But um, what, what do you what's your game? What's your poison? Uh, well, kind of like you know, in the winter. So when I sort of step out of flying, when I get into the winter, I get back on the console and just and do quite a lot of like RPG gaming and. Yeah. You know, or well, that kind of thing as well. So I'm quite into that. I quite like the whole aspect of losing myself in other worlds. You know, because yeah. I find that quite sort of relaxing and quite sort of a good distraction from the from the day to day. So yeah, I enjoy that too. So, so yeah, quite an interesting.
0: Never, never, never had you as a gamer. All the and all the time we spent together. I'd yeah, spent, I know, yeah, yeah. Yeah. as much time with you as anybody else in uk Paragliding on trains to a retreat <laughs> like
1: i know it's yeah. never really come up i don't know why yeah
0: yeah so. i guess because i'm
1: not a gamer right and you know me yeah. if i'm into something i talk about it i'm like one of those no, absolutely and we, we have quite a lot in common don't we around you know all sorts of things like food and stuff like that and um <laughs> chocolate biscuits, biscuits yeah we're quite foodies aren't we so um yeah but no, no i guess we never really talked about it but yeah that is another another passion of mine
0: uh, yeah that's really cool that is really cool so <laughs> in the um so you started you got into it and then you have been uh as you say i mean a lot of people who are, who are going to listen are not necessarily comp pilots um but we do i do get a fair few comp pilots listen do you know what i mean but you were off then in the comp scene and uh i it's a weird one for me because like you you are as good a pilot as anyone I've flown with male female like it's irrespective but mm-hmm. if we look at you on the female side of things you're up there with some of the best in the world and all that's held you back is time constraints work and you've had a bit of a gap away from comps right but that's fair to yeah, say yeah i
1: think that's a good thing to mention really because i often sits in the back of my mind that i kind of feel maybe i haven't quite reached my sort of true potential in the comp scene and um, i've yeah. done well you know and the fact that i've sort of you know like this year we turned up in macedonia and i managed to get myself on the podium and i haven't done any comps for like what three years because i and everything yeah. so the fact that i was able to do that is, is 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 kind of like it's a good thing you know you think oh that's quite cool i managed to get on a podium and a female podium and but i haven't actually done any comps for three years but on the sort of downside of that you think well where could i be if i had you know really did have the time and the resource to to really plow into it you know like some of the french who pretty much get sponsored to fly you know um and i suppose i think i'm getting to an age now where that probably isn't going to happen really not to get to that kind of level because the amount of commitment and you know sort of ages I'm against okay. me a little bit and time certainly against me and you know
0: so. and I guess you don't like the thing is with um w- when you're younger mm-hmm. it, it is no real sacrifice that's what you do it was like me with 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 my fighting you know like that was I went to the gym six hours every day not not in one go but I spent six hours at the gym two hours is two hours getting punched punching the face every day now mm-hmm. people say to me about fighting I'm like I just really couldn't be bothered I couldn't be bothered to train that much and I couldn't be bothered to not go to the cinema and eat popcorn and whatever it might be. I guess it's the same for you, you have Noah and you have Emma and it's like what to be honest, I couldn't be bothered to be away from them for six weeks of the year doing because realistically you'd need to be doing four or five comps minimum to be at the top level. Yeah, that's
1: right. And and obviously now, you know, with family constraints as well, and you know, that just would be completely and utterly sort of irresponsible and selfish to say you know, just disappear off, which is just not reality anymore, you know. So so that's fine. And and in that sense actually that's why I've really enjoyed the league this year because or just UK flying more specifically, because you can sort of pick your days and you know I could take a day off midweek um and, and go out and have a really, really good day's flying. And although that's quite a commitment for that day, you know, with the retrieve and everything else potentially, it's not the same level of commitment as you know, going away for, you know, like the Cat 1 comps, like the, the you know, the World's Europeans and um, and also like the World Cup, like the Superfinal and so on, you know, big commitments, really big. Oh, yeah. You know, you're talking more than two weeks, really, um, you know. So, yeah, it's a lot. It's a lot. And, you know, I, I've I've had fun with it. I've done pretty well with it. And I'm kind of fairly at sort of peace with that now, really. I don't think I need to go back to the to, to comp flying at that kind of, level or intensity really i think it's gone. No, of- i i mean
0: like, I, I i love it and at the same time i you know I, I if i never flew a comp again it wouldn't it wouldn't hurt me if i never flew xc again i'd be devastated um mm-hmm. now I, I like comp, i love comp flying because i'm super competitive i'm i've been pretty crappy this year but i like it But I haven't got a spare eight grand a year to spend on comp flying. So, you know, and I haven't got the time to take off work to do it as much as it should be done. So realistically, Mm -hmm. I can. not But I think we're blessed, especially the last couple of seasons and especially because we have a nice little group. We're blessed that where we live is possibly the best cross country flying in the world.
1: I think it's good. I mean, you know, I think you saying that a lot of pilots from other countries would be sort of like, you're having a laugh to say that it's that good. But, you know, I've flown a lot of places around the world. I've done a lot of cross-country and comps. in, you know, I've been out to Australia, I've been to um, Mexico, um, South Africa, you know, I've been to quite a few different places, obviously quite a lot of places in Europe as well. And, you know, what is good here, I think is up there, you know, I think it really is. I think sure. it's it's a great and also,
0: experience. like, if you take into account logistics and stuff as well, that like we can go and we can fly for seven hours, fly a massive triangle, land back at our car, or we can go and we can do a dang wind flight for four or five hours, and no, we're gonna be right now. I've just go get on a train and get back to my car, and I'm gonna be home again. Like, logistically, exactly. it's really good. I mean, you if you go to Brazil or South Africa and you fly four or five hours, you
1: could end up in the middle of nowhere, waiting two, three hours, four hours for a lift. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, especially flying down—not you know, obviously flying up in the in the highlands and stuff is a bit different. But certainly, flying down south, you're never far from anywhere, are you? Really, yeah. you know, so it's not—it's never difficult to extract yourself out from wherever you land, really. <laughs> <It> certainly isn't.
0: <laughs> so, what was your progression then? How would you like? When did you, um from from starting to really starting to make headway and thinking like, oh, actually it's cross-country for me or did you know or was there like a progression of oh, i did a little bit and i flew a bit and it got a little bit further you know how, how did it become that you were chasing comps and xc flying
1: yeah i suppose you know it's that that whole classic thing of um 50k of bus isn't it with the cross-country you know the whole thing of, sort of stitching stitching the climbs together and um realizing that you know you, you can put it together and, and start bashing out some distance really but i mean in the cross-country side of things i didn't fly you know it used to be a lot harder to fly 100k when i first started flying you know it was a big deal if you feel 100k that's like flying it's well it almost feels like more than flying 200 now it feels like more like flying 300 or something you know, it was really hard to fly 100k and um so it was a big, big deal if you did it, you know. I remember um, Tim Pentrieff, when he first did his, you know, he's got that video of him absolutely beside himself, he's doing yes. 100k. And it's not that long ago, really. It's, what, 10 years ago or so. Yeah. You know, it was a big, big thing. And um, so, yeah, I didn't fly 100k until um, 2010, I think it was, something like that. 2009, t- 2010, I flew 100k the first time from um, from Liddington, actually. Um, flew from Liddington and got down to sort of Arundel Way um, for 100k um, and was really pleased with that. And then it just the next year was massive because I think it was I think it was 2011 because then in 20, 2012 I flew over 100 k just like that off <laughs> the bat, out of nowhere, you know. And so that was a, a very surreal flight, you know, for all sorts of reasons and. I never looked back from there since then. Really, I think it's the same as any sport, isn't it? Once you've done something like that, you know you can do it again. Yeah, I mean, like the four yeah. minute
0: mile, right? So, like yeah. the the four minute mile, and nobody thought it could be done. It was done in the same year that it was done once. It was done six times. Like it's just, you know, it's, it is one of those things. Once you know, and I guess it's once you relieve yourself of chasing it or the pressure. Like once you relieve yourself of, oh, I've hit a hundred, like, and then you do it again. Like, oh oh right it's just doing this and then yeah. like people say to me all the time like obviously I get involved in a lot of like coaching talks and stuff and people say to me all the time about flying 100k I'm like if you've linked three thermals you've flown 100k like you just now need to link the fourth and then the fifth exactly. it's it's doing the same as what you've just done it is you know do
1: it? yeah I mean I think I think on the longer flights the really big flights then there are some other things that start to come into it in terms of sort of stamina almost you know um because unless it's a really really windy day and you're doing it in sort of four and a half hours or something or five hours then you know typically it's quite a long day in the saddle isn't it you know and i think there are i know i do speak to some people and they're like oh i couldn't fly for that long you know it's too much you know and i think you've got to be fairly determined with it as well
0: yeah especially if you um look that's one of the good things about with our group sometimes the radio has saved me sometimes i've been like i can feel myself dwindling and i'm like (laughs) i don't really care (laughs) and then yeah that radio someone comes on the radio even if it's just you might come up and say where's that airspace up ahead we are good to go just anything that distracts you and it's just enough Mm -hmm. isn't it to lift you up but i think also once you've spent four or five hours in the saddle and then you know when like now generally if we take off you and I will sort of take off and we'll think we're going to be up for four or five six hours that's generally the way that it goes so you take off and you you go and you fly and now it just becomes sort of the norm and then you've just got the competitiveness and the chasing and but once you're down to on your own if if we lose someone and you've got to find the last one those couple of hours three hours of the last of the flight on your own they can really get
1: get hard work okay eh? they can they can definitely yeah 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 but yeah so coming back to that first sort of big big flight i mean like i said i'd flown 100k once and i flew well, well over 200k uh on that flight um was that the so tinto it, flight that wasn't the... no that was that was for milk actually oh okay yeah. yeah that was from actually from milk bowl actually and that was on the r11 um and i think that's interesting, actually, because I think that sort of step change in the performance of the gliders really helped me. Because I am quite impulsive in my flying, as you know. I'm not; I don't fly particularly slowly. I'm quite impatient. I think it's just the impatience that gets me. You know, like that flight we did off the the Wolverines, Yeah, um, I was just, that, was just in my head head. and I didn't because I I broke. And I and I was I, I, I for me that was being super 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 patient. You know. Yeah and um you know i didn't get around that triangle because i again i it, eventually i just lost it i was like i gotta, go. gotta
0: go yeah that, i mean that's so that's a great example of how different we like we are not you and i all of us um in it so that was the first exposure although we'd flown together a lot that was the first real exposure to me of your your lack of patience in weak stuff and because uh, Maybe two climbs before that, as where we were in that dribble by that little barn, and you you were like, "Where's I don't think we're going to make the the turn point." I really think we should. And in my head, I'm like, "Oh no, we're fucking getting the turn (laughs) point." But so I'm sitting in absolute dribble, and you sat with me, and it broke, and we were good, and we went to that next bit. And I could tell once we were in that. I mean, that was absolute torture for about four to five minutes. And then I could see when you left and you went, I was a bit like i'm gonna sit in the dribble for a bit longer and like i I think that's one of my good things is i can do that i can just work if there's something there i get into the challenge of oh i'm gonna i'm gonna sit with this and you fall out of it slightly and i'm i'm good at like being competitive with myself as staying in the little bit of dribble but you're good of less bloody go, there's got to be better and sometimes it works sometimes it doesn't
1: and that day it didn't you know but uh yeah, I mean I think it's a case of um it sounds a stupid thing to say, but I'm almost kinda of, I'm kinda of good when it's good, if that makes any sense, you know. Yeah. So because I I know I can fly fast then. And I think coming back to what I was saying, the, the step step in the glider has made a big difference for me to suddenly being able to sort of fly more naturally for me, really, because yeah. with that extra performance, all of a sudden you've got a much more good chance of being on a long glide and finding another climb or just having the sink rate to be able to sort of find something. Um Whereas in the older days, you know, the gliders didn't have that level of performance. And if you were that more impulsive, you'd probably, you'd be down because,
0: you know,
1: you didn't stay with the dribble and you'd go on a glide and the glider wasn't very good because the performance of the glider wasn't very good and you'd be on the ground. Whereas now you've got that extra performance and it just sort of, it just sort of suits me better, I think, really. So I think that flight I did on the R11, it was a windy day um, and it was a very, very good day. It got better and better and better. I got out to the Cambridge Flats. You know, the classic thing you get out there and all the sailplanes are out there as markers. And it was just, it was a sailplane day, really. And I just happened to be lucky enough that I wasn't having to now launch a glider at that point in the day because it would have been too windy to do so. So it really? was a windy day, to be fair. Um, and, you know, and I do respect the guys that sort of are better at d- working in the dribble, you know, um, it's like Alex and, and Simon Twist, who's another extremely good pilot yeah. and weak stuff. Yeah. Um, And it is a skill in itself, but it's not. And I and I've got better at it, but it's not. It's not natural for me to fly that slowly, you know. So So it's Who were you with on that day? That day that you flew the two hundred. Who were you with? Uh, On that first two hundred, I did. Yeah, I did it on my own. Wow. Yeah, I did. uh, Well, that's not fair. I took off with um, uh, Charles Norwood was out on the site that day, and Steve Newcomb, and both of them, they both went down around about didcot mm-hmm. or just for didcot so they went down at sort of 50k so yeah. i did the next you know 160 70k on, on my own yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it was a very very surreal flight i've thought about it before but it, it was ridiculously surreal because like i said i never flown 100k once and when I got up to about 150k, 160k towards Bedford, you know, that was way above whatever i had flown before. And the day wasn't getting worse. It was getting better, you know, at that point. This was at sort of two o'clock in the afternoon, half one, two in the afternoon. It was getting really good. Um, and I got out to so I got out to Cambridge Flats and it was just booming to sort of five and a half, six, six grand. Yeah. And it was windy, you know, so I wasn't hanging around, um, couldn't hang around. <laughs> Um, and I got to 200k and I spent the next 30k trying to get down really I just got spooked at 200k I thought uh, well once I got to about 220 I could see the coast and I didn't have an anti-g on an r11 and it was I was getting sort of 70k an hour ground speed plus really at this point I could see I could see the trees moving and I just knew it was I was gonna be landing in wind yeah and so I just kind of got spooked to that point and thought, I'm gonna get blown out to sea, it's all gonna go hideously wrong with me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna break the I'm gonna break the British record and be dead, you know, it was that kind of scenario. <laughs> so I, I so I landed. I do and I do look back on that it was sort of some slight regret you know that maybe i should have carried on but then equally it could have gone wrong on me and something could have happened you know
0: and is one like like i always say like the, when we're on the when we're on the ground and you're unhurt and you're t- mm-hmm. it's a successful flight right you've, you've flown your yeah. furthest you'd ever flown you're on the ground you're uninjured
1: what's the the worst that happens is oh i might have gone further like pff, I can exactly that. exactly yeah yeah so, yeah, so that was the impetus then with the cross country to know that I could do that again. And I sort of pretty much managed to fly a 200K flight every year since, really, in the UK. Um, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah it's, uh, it's
0: it's getting better and better as well, right? Like, I, I, I'm lucky that I, I do these and I talk to a lot of people who flew way before me and mm-hmm. I hear stories about how it used to be. And I mean, even when I started, I mean, like, I think the Ice Peak 6 or Ice Peak 7 was like the top dog, then the Enzo 1 was like the the Mm. top, those were like the top dogs, so even them now realistically, they're performance wise, they're not as good as what we've got if you put passive safety and performance together so even in that short period of time, like it's moved on massively and someone like yourself who's on a Xeno like, I'm on a comp glider, I don't feel like I need to be on a comp glider in the UK if I'm flying comps, then yeah, but in the UK I think a Xeno 2 or something is absolutely as much machine is needed, as you and Hugh have proven um, this yeah. season. But yeah. but, yeah, looking back, like, when you guys were on those earlier gliders, it, I can't imagine, what, I mean, it must be, like, me going back to a B-Wing now and trying to fly with you guys, you know?
1: Yeah, yeah, although apparently, you know, I think, I think flying a Xeno 2 now would have more performance than an R11 would have had back then and with more passive safety as well. So, you know, things have moved on quite a lot, really i mean when i started flying though i think you know i hear this the talk about the really old days like when he was flying you know comp wings back in the 90s and stuff and it was you know that was proper hardcore you know the wings were literally just falling out of the sky and the design the design wasn't there was it in the way that it is now obviously it's a much younger sport um so we are pretty blessed now to fly these wings that are relatively pretty safe aren't they really
0: yeah Yeah. and especially with the the training that like you've said you, you don't think you've you've invested enough in but with the SIV training the understanding people like Marlin and people who will go away and look at not just how to fly the glider but how specific areas of how to be safe in this specific area i think yeah it's just the leaps forward for for piloting in the sport isn't it
1: yeah no definitely definitely i mean i've been interested to see where it all goes now with these sort of um the submarine harnesses and stuff as well cuz you know i think at the moment that people are sort of in well obviously the top com guys are going to go for it of course they are but i think you know a more sort of recreational level it still seems like an awful lot of faff doesn't it really it's a big investment and a lot
0: i mean to be fair they came to the market a lot cheaper than i thought they would um but Mm -hmm. it does seem like a lot of faff for a lot of the time i mean unless everyone's on one you're not going to get the full potential out of it because you're going to be waiting for other people anyway, or you're just going to be a leader of a pack and people are going to follow, which is not really. So for yeah. me, I don't, I don't really see it's got much of a place in UK cost country until everyone has one, which it's right at the bottom of my list.
1: So... Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, it's interesting. I think um someone was saying they just got one and you know you're gonna to need to be on one if you're at the World Cup super final and say, so, you know, which you will be, of course, to, to have the same level of pawns, but they're all gonna be on them anyway. So there won't be of any course. difference between them anyway, will they? Yeah, of course, yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly.
0: So, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so now let's get to the gruesome bits. So you've um your injuries paragliding, you had accident, okay. um comp flying, I
1: believe, was it, your accident. Yeah, I've had a couple of accidents. Can't fly. Yeah, yeah, I've had. Well, in fact, and if you add up the number of scares I've had as well, I've probably had three or four sort of scares. Two of which ended up being accidents. Um, So yeah, I mean, the the most recent one was in twenty fifteen out in Columbia. and I broke my back out there, um, which wasn't the best. classic red mist last day of the comp I was doing the world championships in Colombia and I took off with a a, a knot in my brake cascade really um like a high up in the brake cascade I think it was pulling through on the on the actual top of the bees as well um and it meant that I couldn't fly with any speed bar really I could just about push half bar but anything more than that and I get a collapse on that side. Yeah, so it, bar wasn't really an option much or certainly not enough bar to be able to sort of stay competitive in that last task. So I was getting further and further behind, of course, and then there's a frustration because I was placed second amongst the women at that point in the comp last day. And so I just kept going and going and going. And interestingly, no one made goal that day. It wasn't actually a particularly good day. The day was starting to shut down, but you're kind of the is coming down and you're like, I'm getting behind and... And um what I should have done really is just go and land with that, the glider in that state really um even with half bars having to sort of really pull on on the riser set really to just keep the glider flying straight. And then I got ended up on a low ridge and I still don't really know what happened, but basically I piled in. I don't really know that I think the glider must have suffered a collapse or it must have hit some rotor or something. but I was kind of crabbing in along this on along this ridge, um, to land on it actually I couldn't land in the bottom of the valley because there was um, a few houses and p- pools and cables and, and so on I wanted to land on this ridge so I got onto it and just as I was coming onto it I kind of just slid onto it and just hit the side of the hill basically um and I guess that happened because the, 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 of this knot issue in the wing or something whether it was affecting it the, the stall on that side or what I don't know um it sounds like a it sounds like a uh... Like the way you've described it doesn't sound like a major sort of incident. It seems like no. you've come into land and you've just skidded um, along the ridge. Yeah. Yeah. And the last, the la- literally the last sort of 20 feet that just sort of fell out of the sky, really, the last 20 feet or slid in. So it's the job to know quite what happened. Uh, so that's a bit frustrating because I don't really, uh, the other instance I've had, I've kind of known what I've done wrong sort of thing. <laughs> but that was one where I didn't really know what what had occurred, really. Um, so yeah, so I ended up in hospital with that. Um, a few days had to have a a minor operation on my back to sort that out um so yeah that wasn't the best really um how long was recovery from that recovery kind of full recovery sort of six months or so really because obviously it was invasive surgery in my back and had to go through rehab and stuff with that i was out of hospital within five days after they'd done the op um but another sort of few days in in columbia to recover in a hotel and then fly back um, so that's kind of kind of the worst incident I've had um, but I had one one other one out in Portugal in 2013 on an Enzo One, second day of the comp um, in the Brits and well, there was dusties going on and there was there were so many clues that day that it wasn't a good day or it was difficult on launch you know we had backwind. we had dusties, we had all sorts going on, people taking multiple attempts to launch. I remember, um, you know, several top pilots struggling to get off uh, the hill. And I, I eventually took off and crabbed along to the right along this ridge and flew through a really snotty bit of air. Um, the glider was all a bit all over the place. Came through that, carried on, and then ended up in this sort of, small bowl at the end of the ridge and we've been told to not go round this nose and go any further because it was potentially in Rota, Um or just not the place to be so I then came back along the ridge and whether I hit the same bit of air probably not probably a different bit I probably hit a dusty because of what I've been going on on launch yeah. so I'm now literally I'm almost back at launch and how, how high are you at this point oh ridge height really okay. <laughs> And I and but on a steep on a steep ridge, and I got absolutely battered by something, and the glider just within a split second was nose down. Literally, it's yeah. like I'd done involuntary SIV, you know, without. And of course, SIV when you do SIV, it's all planned, isn't it? You know, probably, yeah. when these things come out of out of nowhere, you're not expecting it as yeah. such. You, you know, I knew I'd just been through some rough air and stuff like that, but you're not expecting the glider to suddenly looking down at the glider. Yeah. So, so so the glider turned 90 degrees, fortunately away from the hill and had just literally gone nose down. And I then swung back through, whole glider went into twists. Uh and all I had time to do really was because I'm, you know, I'm literally only 50 foot off the ground or whatever anyway, I had time to literally just bury the brakes to stop any further um pendulum or anything. And I just then just hit the ground basically on a very steep part of the hill, missed all the rocks um and yeah everyone has seen it on launch everyone thought it was dead you know it was that violent a situation um and uh I think the, uh, the chap called Stephen Hessling Do you know Stephen yeah yeah of course yeah. Yeah. he was yeah. the, he was the he he was at that comp um probably put him off for life and he doesn't uh, fly
0: anymore right he stopped flying yeah
1: and he was the um, he was the first one on the scene, and I was conscious and everything. I couldn't didn't want to move because I wasn't quite sure what was injured. I didn't have any huge amounts of, sort of back pain or anything. And um he was the first one down to me, and I could hear as he was getting closer from the tone of his voice. He thought I was dead, basically, you know. And of course, then I started speaking, and he the relief on his face. You know? <laughs> so he wasn't having to deal with a really really nasty situation, yeah. so. So, yeah, so that was another cart off the off the hill into hospital, and I, I I turned out I hadn't broken anything. I just badly bruised myself which was miraculous. Yeah. I thought I'd probably broken my coccyx or something like that, but it was all, it was all okay Thank God quite, that and quite
0: protection. lucky I guess that when when you pendulum
1: through, you were clear of the ground that that was the big savior, I yeah, guess absolutely, and I think because I'd managed to I uh, only had like one or two twists, so I said a bit of break. That I could use yeah, yeah so I was able to bury the brakes I didn't I didn't have time to throw it was uh no chance it was, it was just yeah. you know all I had time to do was to realize that something had happened essentially and to sort of take stop for a few split seconds and bury the brakes as much as I could as I hit the ground uh, and I hit the ground on a very steep part of the hill as well so which would have helped in addition um and yeah I got away with it so yeah so those are the two main do, do you think um more a more SIV
0: experience would have helped you in in either or you think uh I mean they wouldn't have been of harm that's that's not me saying don't do SIV because it will help you in this situation always do as much SIV as you can but do you think now retrospectively looking back you think if I'd had more SIV I might have understood a bit more or
1: possibly I mean actually interestingly that year I had actually done SIV with Russ that year 2013 so I think that might have helped I think I think it probably would have helped in terms of not panicking, probably. Yeah. You know, because um, I think a lot of those situations go an awful lot worse when people start doing too much to the glider in those situations. You know, I think I think of the two. I think I know on high performance wings, there's always a, a need for a, potentially a degree of input if, if things go wrong. But I think even in those situations, overreacting is always worse than, yeah. than underreacting. Um, yeah, you know, because you can just make a really bad situation even worse. Um, yeah, I mean, I say
0: I say um, a lot on this podcast. Uh, I say and I mean, I'm not I've just happen to have done five SIVs. I'm not like anyone who you should listen to about SIV. But <laughs> I say it all the time is that SIV shouldn't be viewed as something that's going to keep you safe. It should be viewed as something that gives you an understanding of what's going on. So when my wing turns inside out, I it's happened to me a lot in SIV. So I understand Right, do nothing. Let it let it fly. Let it fly. Bam, catch that. As where some people will over pilot the deflation or something, and I think yeah. that's what SIV does. It just it just gives you a better understanding
1: of what's going wrong. I think so. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it, obviously, if you've got a, an extreme situation like that going on with your wing, and um, especially on high aspect wing, high performance wing, you're going to need probably need to do something with it. But it's it's having even if you, even if it's just a split second to consider what you might need to do with the wing. Yeah that's useful you know um before you actually do do some input if you need to whereas if you if something happens and the, if your first response is just to start pulling strings you're almost certainly going to make that situation even worse than it was i think yeah but again yeah. you know i'm I, uh the likes of russ and Malin and everything obviously got an awful lot more experience with it than than, than we. yeah have.
0: i mean like when i did this with russ and russ pretty much said the same thing he's like yeah look you're just like knowing what input is better than just putting an input in you know like just just knowing what to do is always going to be better right like jockey as well when jockey was on there like it's just like you know like i I just think uh i'm a big advocate of of siv and he would have done talks and stuff to clubs and i've seen a, a couple of people with a bit of pushback and they're like well i've been flying for x amount of years and i've never done one and i'm safe and i'm like that's not the reason not to do an SIV. That's like, no, no, like I'm not no. saying it's going to make you a better pilot. I'm not saying it's going to keep you safe. I'm just saying you know it's certainly not going to hinder you to do SIV.
1: Yeah, I mean the biggest thing I've taken away from from SIV, especially the ones the couple I've done with Russ, is to is energy is what kills you. You know, is that if you you want to what you want to do is take energy out of the wing. You know, even if it means the wing's in, in a state still, keeping the energy out of the wing in terms of auto-rotation, in terms of massive pendulum, um, that's what you, that's, that should be your goal really, even if that means you're keeping the wing slightly back and, you know, it might be a bit, as long as you've got the height, of course, you know, that's the other thing, but if it might be a bit parachute or it might be slightly still, whatever it is, it's better to have it in that state for a, for, for a second or two than it is to, to have it massively auto rotating or or whatever you know so yeah yeah yeah. it's the energy that's going to kill you yeah and that's uh, that's something to take away Mm, yeah and then
0: like other instances i guess it's just like i saw you for your reserve in saint andre i guess just stuff like that right just like minor stuff that didn't result in injury but just like was that on your enzo too was
1: it that was on the enzo too and that was that was uh, a classic example of not doing what i've just said basically (laughs) That's the one. I think that is the one only time where a glider has completely got away from me. You know, it completely and very quickly got away from me. You know, obviously high performance wing. I think I was, and I think I've heard Manon talk about this as well. Is if if you're if you're tense, you're not going to use the full. um, You're not going to be. Your brake inputs are not going to be as they should be. You know, you're not. You're going to be more sort of like timid on the brakes. You know, when you maybe should need to be a bit more dynamic, whatever it might be. And I think I was up there that year in san andre been very very dry there uh and san, san andre is always banging i mean i probably until i started flying sites like um in crucivo and um in Rolder, colombia before i'd flown those two locations i would have said that san andre was my favorite place to fly yeah. you know i've always absolutely love flying there i think probably as i'm getting older i probably less like flying there because it's very <laughs> it's very strong it's very strong there oh, you know but it i think i kind of i think again in the early days it kind of suited my style of flying and i'll be talking about earlier on because it, it is a fairly sort of bish bash bosh there you know it's strong climbs you know good glides you could you can get on with it there you haven't got to be again it's not it's not kind of mincing type flying it's like you know proper well, you can out. be
0: well above you can be well above terrain there like from from yeah. first climb you can be
1: well above terrain for most of the tasks you can. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And, in, and even if you're not, and if you want to glide, and, you know, if you if you especially when I was first doing comps where you are more likely to get separated from the from the leaders, you know, and you are more likely to be a bit more at the back. Then you had situations where you could catch up a bit because you could just point at a ridge and you might get a seven metre climb on that ridge almost <laughs> instantly, you know. So, you, you know, you could actually um, sort of get, get out of jail free cards, I used to call it there, you know. So, so it's an amazing place to fly. And um, But I think because it had been so dry there that season when we were there for the Brits, uh, and that that hill out in front called the Mouchon, we call it the Sharks, the Sharks Fin, it absolutely pumps off of there, and it's a beautifully reliable source. You know, if you're come, if you're on, if you're on a task and you've been out to somewhere else and you're coming back to there, you know, you can guarantee you're going to get a climb on there um and we we're up there before the start gate and it was pretty pokey i remember that day you know you're up at like 2200 meters or something and it's still like really rockety stuff coming yeah, through yeah. when you're up high and it was just literally before the start gate it's about like you know a minute or two to go and i think i had been feeling a little bit nervous up there uh on the Enzo, and uh, yeah something just clipped me and i just glider just went st- again you know I think I think I think I didn't quite catch it and then it just dived really violently and went straight into a very very tight auto rotation yeah. you know and and that and it's the only time I've ever thrown my reserve and it was the only time where it was it was just out you know there was no I think I just knew the wing had gone into a state that was not be way beyond my ability to to deal Perfect. with it yeah like so i yeah. was
0: near i was near you on the day because obviously we're all at start mm. game and um i i didn't see the collapse i just saw the, like a partial rotation and the reserve come out immediately yeah and you came on the radio i believe when you were under reserve and that's when i twigged who it was who was on, on the uh who was coming out in the reserve but yeah it looked quite violent even once the because you know when the something's happened you chuck a reserve the reserve comes out everything deadens down like your reserve came out and you were still well into a rotation when it came out and then it exploded obviously but yeah so it yeah. did look violent for, from watching it
1: it was yeah and i suppose initially the reserve was inflating in what was still pretty punchy air as well and stuff so yeah it was it was a relief for it to come out um and then i had a, a degree of it down on me as well i think that's something that doesn't get talked about enough this whole issue of um what to do with your main, especially on again on a high aspect wing, because, you know, so it's law, as soon as you throw your reserve, the wing will decide it wants to fly again, basically, out it comes, and, it, and with a big aspect wing, it can very easily start to want to, to twist up, you know, Um I think it's, I think if it happens again, hopefully it won't, um, then I think I'd be much more, I think that, I think when you first throw a reserve like that, it's like, oh, is it going to come out, you know, and it, of course, so, so you're actually spending a, a few split seconds where you're waiting for it to come out and then it does come out and you, what you should have been doing is focusing on the main at that point and getting it in because I yeah, think yeah. When, there was, when, you, when the gliders collapsed like that and then you throw the reserve um, you've got that, those few seconds where there, there won't be any tension on the main and you can then start hauling it in as quick as possible you know I think because yeah. otherwise once it then it has reinflated especially if it then starts going to twist there's very little you can do with it really yeah. Um, and so I did come down with a degree of it down on me as well, which wasn't great. Yeah. Um, but I managed to just about keep it under control when landed. Um, yeah. But there's, some there's, um, when you're coming down like that, you're like, I want to go in the trees, I want to go in the trees. And I started <laughs> getting towards these big trees and they're like these massive old like pine trees with great big spikes on them and stuff. I like, I don't want to go in the trees. I, to in the trees. <laughs> I didn't land in the trees, actually. I landed off to one on in this field, so... that
0: was the reason for me buying steerable reserves like when you fly like comps in places like Romania and places like this I'm like the terrain shears away enough that I could glide into the valley away from the trees because being stuck up a tree on the side of a mountain could be seven eight hours before you're rescued and a huge operation you know it
1: is it is I mean yeah there is advantages going to the trees in terms of it potentially being a softer landing I suppose but there are some disadvantages as well, I think, on
0: there? <laughs> yeah, definitely. It was actually like, like down planing was the reason I started having a hook knife on my stuff because I thought if I got into a really big one, I'll just cut one side yeah. of my my main and then I'll be good. Like, obviously, I've not come down into reserve with a, with a main gun mental and it would depend how high I was. But, mm. yeah, that was one of the main reasons I had. I always had a hook knife on my equipment. It was just, yeah, that's why it's there really, just for that, you know. No, I
1: think that's right. Definitely. Yeah, yeah yeah so this season um has been
0: brilliant for us it's been yeah was your was there a highlight for you was there a flight i mean the last two actually i think so for me maybe not for yourself for me the last two seasons flying with idris yourself our little group Mm. you know like they've been my best paragliding apart from your first season that's always your first season xc is your favorite season right but they've been my best season we've had some really cool flights like what stood out for you? Are you still doing stuff, um wise where you think like where you're smiling, like this is yeah, this is it, something new, it's something something different. Oh, definitely, like definitely,
1: yeah. I mean, I think if I wasn't still smiling and I wouldn't be doing it. You know what I mean? You know, if it wasn't if I wasn't still getting a, a a buzz out of it or you know a reward out of it, then I wouldn't be doing it. So, yeah, both both these seasons have been good. You know, I mean, if you look at last season. um, for sure um getting the opportunity a couple of times to fly from from elan w- w- was great you know and 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 you know i have to thank idris for that because obviously he was based up at his dad's at the Morvans and you know he pretty much invited me a couple of times to say look you know stick your car here and i'll drive across the last bit to get across to elan you know which was which was a which was brilliant for me because I wouldn't have been able to do that otherwise, really, you know, because it's just too far away, you know, to, to do that. Um, but how and and you know, again, all sports mental, isn't it? And knowing that I have my car parked in the Morvens, which is what ninety k downwind from from Elan, you know, so you get back to the Morvens, you're like, well, I'm back in my car now, you know. I just yeah. keep going, you know. But and again, you know, and the retrieve back to to, to the Morvens is is good in terms of rail connections and stuff as well. So so you know, all that helped, and um, there were a couple of. I've, I've wanted to fly there for a while, and um, it, it's not the easiest place to to get to, as we know. Um, and I still think that that probably more than anywhere else still has you know the potential for us to do three hundred. I mean, the only three hundred that's ever been done has been done from there by Richard Carter. So it, I think it is the place really, because the, and I know Sharpenhoes good and Sharpenhoes easier for me to get to. You know, it's easier for the likes of you to get to um But that constriction you've got down once you get down to to Devon, yeah, uh, yeah exactly. Into with the coast, it, it is tricky. I'm sure it's, it's doable. doable. I mean, Hugh's really up for doing that, and it is a real challenge. And I, I'm sure it will get done. But I think, in terms of the odds of someone doing another 300, it's more likely to come from somewhere like elan or Merth or, or, or Mir, like I think or Elan or Mer. But the only thing with Mer. Mm. Mer, yeah. yeah. Yes. The direction you need for Mir, you either need it
0: quite light, which means you'd have to really be pumping on, like moving on, or you really need like that west south-west, southwest almost, which isn't a good direction for Mir, because to get around the the airspace. So mm. it, I think those are the two realistically sites that offer the big that that's the big number sites, I think, aren't they really? Yeah,
1: I think so. I mean, I mean, is actually quite good in terms of airspace once you get out past the first bit. But I think Elan, again, yes, you've got to go south of Birmingham, but that's kind of the track you're on anyway, roughly, isn't it? You know, it's not that difficult to do that. Um, And obviously the first section, you haven't got any airspace woes. And then once you get out the other side, it's not too bad. You've got the few of the big air bases, obviously. But again, you haven't got the the ceiling restriction. Um, And only
0: one person in the world likes Sharpenhoe, and that's Hugh anyway. Everybody else who's flown now complains about it to me and then Hugh says how much he loves it.
1: Well, I've, I've flown it three or four times and I've always managed to get away. Um, but it can be tricky. And the, and the fact of flying it this summer was tricky. You know, we went there on a day which it wasn't quite as forecast it was like a a couple of days before the the ten thousand foot stuff and in fact that day they were forecasting eight nine thousand foot which didn't really materialize at all and and in fact the wind strength wasn't as strong as as they said it was going to be either so it was like hot high pressure with not enough wind really which is like a perfectly not good day (laughs) it was horrendous so um yeah it's tricky really but yeah so yeah i mean last season those flights from from milan were good and then again the sort of the other big highlight from last year which we've taken through to this year was the whole you know the use of rushes beacon really for for triangles and in fact for downwind as well you know it's a great site you can do some you can easily do over 200k from there anyway
0: it has to Um, be the most reliable site in the country i would i would imagine um which yeah idris exposed last year especially on the day when he went up to anglesey is mm-hmm. just went out on the it looks crap it looks drizzly it looked it done boom it just went and it has to be just one of those places it's right in the middle the most reliable place i would assume really i think so i mean
1: we had that day this year didn't we where um the southern boys Hugh and andrew they went across to um the Blorange, didn't they yeah
0: exactly that was a day
1: when i didn't quite get around the triangle with you. Yeah. year and um, we had Lawrence and um Joey wasn't it we had Jay. those guys up um, up on there with us and we, we lost
0: was, them just after Hereford right we yeah. did
1: we did but it, it but it were, didn't it you know and those two yeah. didn't do anything over on the Blorand all day you know so yeah. and
0: we were stood on the hill thinking like this looks crap this looks crap nothing's working nothing's working oh there's mm-hmm. the punt boom go we're off yeah. way. which yeah. is what what I think it, it gives, it with having a massive tang below it and stuff, there's always, you know, you get to the point where, you're like, right, one o'clock is my cut-off, then we're going for it. That is it. Then one o'clock comes, like, 1.30 is my cut-off. <laughs> and then one thirty comes, but someone does punt for it. And then generally, okay, yeah, boom, something works, and you're away. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. like, you, when we've flown it in flown it with the and the wind we've launched and we've jumped over into the lee to get the climb off of there it's just always something
1: sort of works on us. So i think it's mm. probably one of the most reliable places and especially in light wind i think so i think the only direction where it's not great is in the southwestly isn't it because you'll see it's going to take you straight up towards birmingham airspace yeah, yeah. a downwind day for in the southwesterly, obviously yeah. um but um yeah anything else i mean i think all my no, apart from the flight I did from Salesley this year, I did just short of 200 from Celsley, um this year. All the other, both downwind and triangle flights I've done have all been from, from Worcestershire Beacon yeah. this year. Yeah, yeah, it's just it's just such a reliable site. And I, I mean, again, I've got experience from flying there a long time ago, um, when we didn't have access to, to Worcestershire Beacon, so we were just confined to flying Kettle Sings. And back in those days, it was kind of like, oh it's easterly we could go to kelp Sings. you know that was kind of all you yeah. did with it you know if any other direction you wouldn't even think about it there really um and it was only really with the the beacon being opened up that the sort of potential for triangles and so on started to come through there and i think it just just sticks up that little bit higher i don't know what it is but it does make a difference you know it really does yeah,
0: yeah people always like people say to me all the time like oh you're going to marvellous where are you going i'm like but there's only one place to go why, why would yeah. i go to kettle sings i don't know why like uh, um, and what? then you you still go there and you le- you launch off of worcester beacon you look at kettle sings and there's 40 pilots and you're like which is good that's where you should go actually no you should <laughs> yeah on go kettle down sings. there go down
1: there yeah. like i did this year of course i mean that's I mean, yeah. that's a great story, the fact that the guy went to, the, to Kettle Sings by mistake, essentially. Because I'd had a conversation with him in the morning, and he hadn't asked exactly where it was we were going. And then then he'd gone up Kettle Sings by mistake, and um, turns out he managed to get back down from there, come up to the Beacon, take off, catch us up, and then to get the 100k triangle record as a result, yeah. speed record.
0: Yeah, crazy. <laughs> And was that great. was on the day I, the day after I'd done my big triangle and I didn't go out because I was thinking, well, I don't, I don't know if many people are even going to bother because you and I had spoke on the phone and I said to you, I'm probably going to have to go to work. And I yeah. missed it. I didn't go out. You lot went So I
1: could have had back-to-back 300s. But, yeah. Oh, well, I mean, yeah, it could have been. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah definitely. I mean, because Andrew went home as well rather than staying up. Um, yeah. And if, yeah, you guys stayed up, you definitely would have done 300 back-to-back. I think, yeah. 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 It was that good. I mean, it, and it it was, there were so many
0: days like that this year, really, wasn't there? You know, it's incredible. Yeah, yeah, there was. I mean, I think, it, like, a lot of it as well is, uh, we have a group now, a good group, especially with Andrew and, Hugh, like, Hugh's playing, and hopefully Hugh plays next year as well, like, and then Martin joined in this year as well, and we have, Laurie Nocter comes down from up north sometimes. We have groups who are just like, fuck it, we're here to fly big, like, you know, like, I'll go out and someone will say, like, What are you thinking? And I'm like, I'm thinking 200. Don't you think it's on? I'm like, no, but why what else would I try? Like what we're going big, aren't we? Let's let's go, you know? And we have I think that's the best thing. I think we're doing big things because our mentality has changed a little bit and we're all sort of saying, Let's just go for it.
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I think he he's very much of the same sort of mentality as well. I mean, the day we did the triangle, the seven of us, the day after you guys um from worcestershire i remember getting up there and he, i was saying oh how big are we going to go with this and he said well definitely over 100 you know so um yeah 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 i think i think that's that's uh i think that's one for next year isn't it to see if we can get that get the record for the for the try
0: yeah because so like for me i i love the league i'm a massive advocate of the league and obviously i get on really well with them and i liaise with them a lot and i think that uh but I never think about winning the league and because I was obviously at the top of the league for about six, seven, eight weeks, or whatever it was, people kept asking me about winning the league. I'm like, no, at some point I'm going to go to work. At some point, something's going to happen. I've got yeah. confidence in. But for me, I every flight I do, once I have six flights in the league, I try and make sure none of my flights are smaller than or will award me more than my lowest flight in the league. Mm-hmm. So then I start thinking, right no flight should be less or smaller than my biggest flight in the league because you want your biggest one, <laughs> yeah. biggest, smallest yeah. one by then. and it's not to do with winning the league it's just to do with beating my six figures and i think lots of people are go out like this is younger people who are just getting into xc maybe you're going out to put six flights in And i think mm-hmm. now that we're at a point where we look at it and we're like we have to go sometimes we do ridiculous stuff but Do the ridiculous stuff and try for massive stuff that pushes your biggest flight right back and your numbers start to come up. If they don't, you've had an amazing time. You've chased something. But for Mm -hmm. me, the league's never, I'm never thinking about winning the league. I don't know about yourself. Like I'm not, because I'm just too competitive. It would eat away at my soul. I'll end up bankrupt living off the street, (laughs) sleeping under my glider.
1: Oh, I don't know. I mean, yeah, I'd like to to win. of course I would. But I mean, I think it's keeping it in perspective, isn't it? basically you know i mean i think um i'm not doing it just for the cross-country league you know i'm doing because i enjoy flying i'm enjoying because i like the challenge i think one thing, one thing i think does co- good thing that does come out of the league is like once you've got six flights in there and they're all reasonably sized in terms of points you know you're gonna have to do something big to sort of even sort of get another flight on there and that's a good challenge you know i think um if that challenges you then to try and go and break break the overall triangle record for example You know that's great you know we could argue about the multipliers about whether the multipliers are too big or too small but i think as Hugh said you know we'd be going out doing those flights anyway whether they were whether it was you know the multiplier was half that you know you still go out and do try and do a big triangle or do a big downwind flight you know so um and there's been quite a lot of debate recently about you know you know you've got some people saying oh triangles are worthless and other people saying oh downwind's worthless you know it's like uh, it's all it's all valuable you know of course yeah uh, you know i mean it all just, there's been talk about oh well you know if you go and do it in a really strong wind then it's you know it's not a flight you know it's like well yes i get the idea that actually if you if it's forcing you to take off in in dangerous conditions because it's really really windy and i think a uh, case in point was the last big flight that we did off of the Morvens. you know that downwind that oh. that was a windy day i mean that yeah. was there's no doubt that was that was marginal on takeoff so uh, you know some people didn't take off that day and were perfectly good pilots who could have flown a big distance that day um but so yeah I get I get that I do get that um but I think I I certainly don't have a an attitude of oh I only want to fly downwind or I only want to fly um uh, triangles you know and I think I, I I enjoy them both I enjoy them both. I, yeah. I get that flying down wind is great because you're covering terrain. It's interesting in terms of what you're seeing because you're you're going to different places. I get that. I get. I like the. I like that whole kind of um, thing of almost like running along on a wave. You know, it feels like you've got the wave behind you, yeah. and it, well, especially when it gets good, you know, and you get out into Cambridge flats and so on, and there's big booming stuff going on, and you know, it's quite tactical. And as as um, Hugh has also said, you know, it's quite tactical in terms of airspace navigation and so on but equally oh it's a real buzz isn't it to get around a triangle and get back to your car you know it's great i I
0: look at like So flying downwind is an adventure. That's an adventure to me. And if I put a turn point, I'm aiming for that turn, but it's an an adventure when I fly downwind. When I fly a triangle, it's a challenge. And these are the two ways I look at different. Now, there was a couple of times last year where I was gagging for a downwind flight. I was like, I don't want to do another triangle. I want to go downwind. I want to go downwind. But then you go on a massive downwind flight, and you know we've spent hours and hours on trains together. Stopped in London, ate dinner in London, then got on the tube. Then, and it's ten o'clock. We're saying goodbye to each other. We've both got another hour and a half yet. You know, yeah. like, and you get to the point where you think, oh, "I wouldn't mind a triangle tomorrow." You know, like you you get them. But I think they're both equally as valuable and. All of it. I think it all gets taken a bit too seriously. Like this is listen, we're idiots flying rags around the sky. Like I get it. Someone's going to win the league. But we have so much fun on the radio, on the drive there, eating food in in Paddington or whatever it might be. We have a great laugh. We have awesome fun. And it's not one thing's better than the other. And it's not your more skillful pilot for doing this or that. It's just that's what the day is. We fly the day.
1: It is, and it is, and, it, and it, I actually do like that whole adventure. Actually, when you land out somewhere and you're like, right, how am I going to get back this time? Yeah. You know, but something ha- always happens. You know, um, it, invariably it doesn't take as long. Well, it can take a long time because you've got a long distance to go. But it's amazing how often someone will be there where you, where you landed or you know someone will give you a good lift to the station or whatever it might be um it, stuff always happens really so and, and that's another good adventure as well in itself you know the whole prey flying i i really enjoy that side of it as well you know <laughs> yeah um, i agree yeah yeah yeah
0: that's no, good so even even after all your injuries after everything mm. you you can't imagine life without flying
1: no not really i mean uh I know there's been a few quite nasty accidents this year, which do sort of make you think, oh, God, you know, I don't, you know, I'm 50, what, 52 now. I don't really want to have a big accident, which, you know, is going to incapacitate me or um, make my older life more difficult, necessarily. Um, I get that. But I think... Coming back to what we almost said at the beginning, now I think my days of doing big comp stuff is probably done. Really, um, touch wood. All the instances I've had have been in comps, really, where I've been pushed myself a bit too hard or compromised my safety because of you know trying to win a task, which sounds ridiculous, but that's ultimately what happens. You get in that mindset, you know.
0: Um, Are you
1: competitive away from comp flying, Curiously. Uh, I think I am reasonably competitive yeah I wouldn't say I was uber competitive but uh, yeah I am reasonably competitive of stuff I do I quite like challenging myself with things so I suppose from that sense you kind of like quite like competition therefore um but um yeah so I think I think those sort of days are over so I'm I mean you you can have an accident in any kind of situation with flying of course you can um it's always there isn't it in our heads really yeah I mean, like I, I, I
0: always when I was base jumping, I always used to say it to people, um like if I get injured base jumping, paragliding, skydiving, I'll be devastated. I'll be absolutely don't ever think oh we did something he loved. No, I'll I'll be absolutely yeah. gutted if I'm spiraling down under a paraglider to my, like, to my demise. All the time I'm gonna be thinking what a dickhead, what an, a hundred percent. But I'll be more upset if I live my life not doing those things. So, although it's not doing, I, oh, he's gone doing something. You love, I just, you know, like you've got to do the things in your life that you love because we don't know how long this is for any of us, right? So, I just think you have to do them, and you have to be as cautious and as like think about things as much as you can. But
1: you've got to do the things you love, haven't you? I think so. I think so. Yeah, definitely. I mean, for sure, there's there's more risk paragliding there is than there you know, is hitting a ball around a tennis court. But yeah, you've got to do the things you like. Um, I mean, I don't, I don't paraglide because it's inherently dangerous i don't i'm, I'm I, you know i think cross-country flying is very different to doing um acro for example isn't yeah. it you know i think a lot of people who get into acro enjoy acro they really like that the buzz don't they yeah. the I mean velocity. you've got it if you're doing infinite tumbles you've got to like the buzz you know because <laughs> that's not that's a pretty extreme relatively extreme thing to be doing you know um whereas you know cross-country flying and most of the time is is positively serene compared to sort of acro and stuff so i'm not doing it for that kind of a a buzz really um i'm doing it because i like the challenge i like being outdoors i like yeah i don't know i mean there is a buzz though isn't there contrary to what i just said the buzz of actually getting like a low save or getting a good climb is, is phenomenal I'm fed up of every
0: flight until I get below a thousand feet, and then I don't want to be on the ground. Every flight, I can at some point say, I was like, Well, oh, I've had enough of this now. And then you get low, and then you're like, Oh, no, 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 I'll do anything. Give me just a point one. I'll do anything. I'll do anything. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. No, it is a drug. It is a drug. It is a drug for sure. Um, I don't know. Yeah, it has to be a drug because really, you're going out and doing the same thing you've done lots of times. Say the fact you want to keep on doing it is uh definitely a drug yeah Yeah, it (laughs)
0: certainly is
1: um so i'm going to let you go shortly because i know
0: you've got work to about to um any advice to younger pilots and i guess specifically uh some female pilots not that just because you're a woman you shouldn't necessarily be put in a position where you should speak to female pilots but it might sound better coming from a female pilot any advice to them and is there a possibility that they could maybe reach out to you if they wanted to to say like look i want to go further i'm just a bit cautious about this or nervous about this
1: yeah I'm always here um you know if people want to talk to me about um how might I able to do better in cross country or in comps or whatever absolutely And um, you know my door's always open to 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 chat about things for sure um I think in terms specifically in terms of women getting into it I think I would say in the main don't be sort of put off by the fact that it's a male dominated sport you know don't be and I, and I and when I say that I mean more not in terms of the actual flying i mean more in terms of the social side of it you know in terms of mixing with lots of other guys because you know you're all a good bunch generally i think i think generally speaking people who are into paragliding or are, are you know the kind of people you'd want to hang out with you know i think yes. generally yeah i think they t- typically are reasonably you know open-minded types of individuals um and you know, I think it, it, it's it's not a it's not a difficult environment to hang out in, really. I would say, generally speaking, I oh, I don't think it is, anyway. Um Sure, there's the, the odds. You, you, you get at the high level comps um, at the PwC, it can be a little a little bit more sort of um, blokey and misogynistic, I suppose. Yeah. But, but well, that's cultural. That's cultural as well. I that think that's as cultural. As well. I definitely think it is. Yeah, absolutely. But certainly a sort of um, hanging out with the Brits of so the Brits. You know it's, it's a good vibe it really is you know it's a good environment to be in um i certainly never had any 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 problems from that sort of respect i think in terms of um progression for women coming into it then again i think you've just got to, but, you just gotta but see how you say these things and you think well that applies to guys as well you know yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah. Anyone coming into it, you've got to take it at your own pace, you know. Um and take I think the other good thing with the sport as well is it is a sport where you can take it in all, all these different directions now. You've got hike and fly, you know, you've got the acro side of it as well. But even within the cross country or you know, you if you if you get if you enjoy going out and, and going for an evening soar or whatever it might be, that's great. I mean, you know, I mean again, how many people get to do that, you know? Um, and I think you have to, I think we have to put that into perspective sometimes as well, don't we, with the stuff that we're doing, because, you know, without wanting to sound whatever, we are sort of operating at the top end of the sport in terms of cross country and stuff like that. That's, in terms of the UK population, the number of people doing that is 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 infinitesimally small, isn't it? You know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> there's, there's no one really is doing yeah, that, you know, so, so, you know, and I think that. I'm going off at tangents now but that feeds back into you know if you land out like one of us lands out you should not be beating yourself up because you've you've already spent the day doing something that most people in the uk will never do you know yeah um most people on the planet have never done in the history of humans being on the planet and and probably to end it on a slightly bad note we probably won't be doing in the future either if um the likes of amazon get their way with drones and god knows what else going on or more 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 um uh, uh, airport grabbing extra airspace and so on as well you know say so i think it's definitely a case of we need to get on with it while well, we can really in that respect
0: yeah well i like i think um, not spent a lot of time with you, like I think you'll be a great asset to any women who maybe don't want to maybe reach out to someone like me or say, like, you know, you'd be a great asset for them to reach out to and say, Look, Kirsty, I, I really am into uh flying some XC, I would like to be a bit more involved. I was a bit worried about it. even if as if you literally just said, Look, I really think speak to Wes or speak to Alex or speak, yeah, they'll be yeah. really good to help you doing it. But I think for coming from a, a female perspective, that's better than me the idiot with the beard and the funny ears telling a, a young girl and assuming I know what her worries might be so the fact that you've said that is brilliant and you know like it can only help right if people know actually there's this person who is I mean you are as top of the game as it can be in this country and throughout the world for female paragliding so to have you is an absolute asset and um, I don't joke around when I literally say the last two years flying where we've had our little group has been my favourite and I can't like next year is all about re rekindling our little group again I mean we talk all through the winter anyway like the the size matters doesn't die off in the winter but we like next spring I really can't wait to rekindle it all get our UDNs back
1: out and start although you want you're not on one anymore I don't think I'm well I've still got one I've been okay. um I've had slight luxury of mucking around with two or three different ones deciding what I yeah. think's best I, I think um I might get back on the UDN actually. Um we'll see. We'll see. But um yeah, no, it's been good. Yeah. And um you know, I think um, next year as well, yeah, we have, it's a little group, but I think, you know, other, there's other um, pilots up and coming as well, you know, they're more than welcome to uh, to muck in with us as well, aren't they?
0: Definitely,
1: definitely, yeah. yeah. That's the,
0: it's yeah. best when we're as a group. It's absolutely brilliant. But um, Kirsty, listen, you've got to get back, so that's fine. Thank yeah. you very much for coming on. We've wanted to do it for a while. I'm so glad I had you on. Thank you. No, it's much. been
1: good to finally get it done. Yeah, absolutely. Really enjoyed it, Wes. Thanks so much.
0: No worries. You stay there. I'll say goodbye to you in person.